So we are in Ephesians chapter 2. And one of the most common myths of Christianity is this. Here it is. That you can live a good life. That you can be very sincere about what you believe. That you can be better than most. You're not perfect, but better than most. And you have... You're, you, you are on your way to heaven. You're pretty much in a good place. And that's one of the greatest myths that we, we hear and it, that our culture teaches about Christianity. But I want to show you from the passage today, it's absolutely incorrect. And it's leading many people astray. So we want to look at that. That's what we want to look at this weekend. And like I said, we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to just talk about these three common beliefs that we carry, that our culture gives to us, that we just take for granted. It's part of like breathing air, drinking. It's just kind of we grow up with it. And here they are. The first one is people are generally good. People are generally good. Kids are born with a clean slate. You know, you, you have that baby in the hospital, you bring that baby home, it's a clean slate, and the new parents say, I'm not going to do anything to mess this baby up, I'm going to do my very best, this child's going to grow up to be a little doll. And the first word they utter out of their mouth is no. <laughs> or they say something, you go, where did you learn that? Where did you pick that up? But our pol- culture basically says that. And then our kids grow up, and they 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 take they can be disrespectful. They th- I was in the store the other day, and the mother said, "Get up off the ground." And the mother, she, she just mocked her mother. And I just, you know, I didn't. I, I I looked at the mother and I said, "What a horrible mother you are!" No, I didn't do that. <laughs> but I thought, "Wow, man, that's tough. That's that's trouble, right?" And yet that's. That's kind of what we see, and doesn't seem like you have to light a big fire for that. It just kind of happens, right? If you have kids, you kind of notice you don't have to coach them on how to be disobedient and, and how to do things they shouldn't and, and stuff like that. They kind of, they got a PhD in that. It's the ones where you have to kind of say, no, no, here's the good, and this is what you should say, and what, you know, all those things. So that gets us a little challenging, doesn't it? So I want to introduce you to three of my friends. The first one is Goody Goodman. Now, Goody is a good guy. Everybody will say, Goody, he's a good guy. I mean, it's his name, Goody. How could he not be good, right? And he's honest. He's a good husband. He's a good father. He works hard. He never cheats on his taxes. He's never been in jail. He's never been in trouble. He goes to church. He believes in God. He is a good guy. And, you know, every now and then, once, you know, once a couple times a year, he'll help out in the soup kitchen. Goody is a good guy. He's a good guy. And everybody around him thinks he's a good guy. But Goody would be the first to admit that he's not perfect. But he's not bad either. He thinks he's got a pretty good thing. He feels like uh, he's got a lifetime. He'll, he'll let his life kind of measure up and be the measure of who he is. Second myth that we believe in our culture, that sincerity is more important than truth. And this is the idea that many people believe that it's not what you believe, it's how sincere you are in your beliefs. That um, whether you... Um, you're t- we're told in our, our culture and movies tell it all the time. Follow your heart. Follow your gut. Do what's right for you. Right? Don't we hear that all the time? 
Following your heart is more important than reflecting on where your heart may be leading you. You may have friends around you that are telling you, no, don't do that. And you go, but I have to follow my heart, don't I? And your friends are going, no, don't do it. Your heart's stupid here. It's not a good idea. Don't do it. In the end, though, sincerity, so, so that my second friend is sincerity. So sincerity Smith, <clears throat> she's all about following her heart. She says, as long as they follow my heart, everything will be okay. I'm, I'm not here to judge your path. I'm, I'm on my own path. And my own path, you may disagree with my own path, but that's what I have to choose for myself. I sincerely believe that's what I should do. So as long as I follow my heart and I'm sincere, everything will be okay. <clears throat> Sincerity also believes there's many paths of truth. There's not just one path, there's multiple paths. So you just have to choose your path. And don't give give person a hard time. If they have a different path than you, then just let them have that path. Don't. Give them a hard time. Don't be judgmental. The third error that we hear in our culture is that you're better than average. Researchers have found that most people see themselves as above average in positive traits. They call this the better than average effect. And whether you know it or not, you have it. If you're honest, you know, when you think about it, you know. There's, a, there's a, that little voice in your head, you go, yeah, I'm a better parent, I'm a better person, I'm a better worker, I'm a better, I'm better. And so I want you to meet my last friend, Brandon Betterman. And Brandon always feels like he's better than average. He's a cut above others. Now, he would never come out, he would never publicly say this. He's not going to say, I'm better than you. But you kind of pick that five up when you're around him. And he would say, you know, I can't help it. I can't help it if I'm a better driver, if I'm more intelligent, I'm less biased, I'm more moral, and I'm less prone to errors and mistakes than most people. Just, I can't help it if I'm a step above everyone else. I just am. Now, here's the point. Many people believe that if they live a good life, if they are sincere in what they believe, and if they feel as though I'm better than most people, then they're on their way to heaven, that everything is okay, that that's all that matters. It doesn't matter. Here's the truth, though. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you're on the wrong road, you're never going to reach the right destination. Sincerity doesn't make the wrong road right. Right? So that's what we want to look at. So now we're set for our text, the passage. Because these three ideas, that people are generally good, that, that, that just be sincere about what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere about it. Don't challenge a belief, just be sincere. Follow your heart. And then, you know, you're not perfect, but you're better than average. Those three truths are embedded in our culture. Most of us walked in with those in our hearts and our minds. So our passage is Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to follow along with me, let's do that. Let's follow along with this because Paul has a, a different take for us today. And here it is. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world 
this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Notice the switch over in the next verse, but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, the next three verses, if, and I would say this, if you have a Bible or even if you are looking on your phone or whatever, there's a way to highlight. These would be three verses. If you were to say, Matt, what are the top 10 passages that you would highlight in your Bible? This would be three, these would be one passage that I would say, this is in the top 10. And this is what it says. Notice this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then notice what he says in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, or masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a whole lot. I could do a series on those verses, but I don't have time to do that. But that's an incredible passage right there. Because what he says is, we were a mess until God found us and God saved us. But once God found us and saved us, he began to make us into the masterpiece that he designed us to be before we were ever made. Wrap your brain around that for a few minutes. The Bible tells us a few things in this passage. We want to just look at those. The Bible tells us first that we're spiritually dead. Notice he doesn't say that you're sick in your, with your sins. He doesn't say, you, you know, you were spiritually sick with your sins. He doesn't say that. He says you were dead. It's one thing to be sick. It's another thing to be dead, right? It says that we were dead in our sins. Let that sink in for a moment. It's not that the, you, you, you need to be, you know, given mouth to mouth or you, you need to be get hit with the paddles. You're dead. There, there's no life. There's no spiritual life. That's his point. Martin Luther wrote this. He said this. He says, our nature is so deeply curved on itself that it wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. Essentially what Martin Luther said, and this is not Martin Luther, the one that was contemporary, you know, a number of years back in our lifetime. This is the Martin Luther of the Reformation. He essentially says that our biggest problem is, that, and he uses a phrase, he says, our nature is so deeply curved on its, in on itself, meaning that all we can think about and all we can see is ourself. Let me just say this, and let me be clear. The biggest sin that we allow in our lives on a daily basis is our own selfishness. 
That's really what it comes down to. When it comes down to it, it's we're very self-serving people. We're spiritually dead. Yet so many people believe, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in prison. I just need a little help from time to time. Yet Paul is telling us something very different, something that we may not want to hear. He's saying that it's remarkable what he's saying. He's saying you can be a very good person and still be spiritually dead. Now, what does that look like? What do we make of this? How do we, how do we make, how do we tell the difference? Because you see it around you. You see people who are good, but they don't get Jesus. And they don't get that they're lost. And they don't get that they are spiritually dead. And they don't get that they need a savior. They don't get any of that, but they're still good people. How do we make sense of that? Because we have neighbors, we have coworkers, we have friends, we have family members that are just like that. What's going on? Well, I want to explain that just for a minute because I think it's important. We have confusion in this area, and it's a very important uh, thing that we need to see. Paul is essentially saying that we're all spiritually dead. And then unless Jesus gives us a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection, then nothing changes. Now, what are we talking about? There's two kinds of grace in the Bible that we hear about. One is called common grace. Um, let me read you a verse that describes what God's common grace is. Now, you may, you may have heard this. You may not have heard this. Common grace. What is it? James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So what is, this, what is James saying? What are the implications of what James is saying? It's simply this, that every act of goodness, every act of wisdom, justice, and beauty, no matter who is doing it, is being enabled by God, it is a gift. It is a form of his grace. So the greatest scientists in the world, the great, the, the great philosophers of the world, the great doctors and, and surgeons and, and, and the, the knowledge that we've gained, all of that, and even people doing good benevolent acts, those all have their source, what James is saying, from God. They do it because God has graced them and is gracing us through them. That means that good people can do good things and not believe in God. That means an atheist or an agnostic can do good things and not believe in God. That's essentially what he's saying. This is why people who don't know God can, know, can be kind, loving, and good people. It means that people without God can be wise and creative and intelligent. It means that people can have a heart for making our world better, a, a better place without knowing the God who made our world. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying that people can want to make our world a better place even though they don't understand the one who made or believe in the one who made the world in the first place. Because they have common grace. Common grace means that we are not as bad as we could be and we're better than we should be. Common grace holds back evil. It holds back the bad, but it also accentuates the good in people. Now, what we often do is we get that common grace mixed up with another kind of grace, and that's what we call saving grace. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. He's talking about saving grace. 
what he's saying here is he's saying you were spiritually dead. You needed to be spiritually made alive. You needed saving grace. You needed to be saved. Saving grace is when God takes spiritually dead people and makes them alive in Christ. And Paul describes us as dead in trespasses and sins. That we're dead. Now we often make the mistake, and here's where the two come together. We often make the mistake. We see a person who is a good person. We see a person who is a sincere person. We see a person who's living a good life, and we make the assumption because they're doing good acts, they must therefore be spiritually raised to life. Now, they might be, but they might not be. You've been to a number of funerals probably over the years, and you've seen people who are good people, and you just say, well, they must be in heaven. And you'll hear the pat, you know, sometimes you hear the preacher or you hear the people get up and they'll talk about him and say, he was a good, he was a good, he was a good guy, and he lived, he loved his wife and he loved his kids. What, why are they saying all of that? They're saying, well, if Goody didn't make it, who, what hope do the rest of us have? See, what's going on here is we're confusing common grace that people generally can do and be good with salvation, salvation grace, which means that Christ raised the spiritually dead to spiritual life. They're two different things. There is a correlation, there's a cross, but they're two different things. We often mistake people who show the traits of common grace with people who have received saving grace. We see nice people doing good works and we think that they're spiritually alive when they're really spiritually dead. We often commute, confuse common grace with saving grace. So the first thing we need to see is, and what Paul says is, you can say that you are born with a clean slate and that you, people are generally good. You can say that. It's not true. You can say that it doesn't matter what you sincerely put your life to and that Sincerity is more important than truth, but that's not true. You can say that you're better than average, but in the end, it, that really doesn't matter. In the, in the end, what Paul says is that every person is spiritually not sick, but dead. Here's the second thing he says. He says that we're all helpless to save ourselves. Not only are we spiritually dead, but we can't save ourselves. We often try to. We think, well, I'll live a good life. I'll believe in God. I'll go to church. I'll follow the rules and the traditions. And hopefully I'll have this spanking, beautiful resume. And God's going to look at it and say, this is outstanding. I mean, I've been through all the resumes today. This is the best one. Get in. It doesn't work that way. I remember when I was about 18 years old and I went through a Bible study, and I was asking a lot of questions. The leader of the Bible study said, hey, let's talk afterwards. And he says, I just want to ask you two questions. Number one, if you died today, would you go to be with God in heaven? I said, well, I hope so. He says, all right, fair enough. He says, second question, if God was standing at the gate of heaven and say, why should I let you in? What would you say? And I said, well, I go to church. I believe in God. I go to confession once a, a month. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm generally, I think, better than the, the majority. I, I'm, in the, I'm in the top 50%. By the way, when uh, the American public was polled about whether they're in the lower half or the upper half of the top 50%, 98% said they're in the top 50%. You know that's mathematically impossible. 
that's what we think of ourselves. And he, he said to me, after I said all of that, because what did I just say? I said, three of, the, three of the things that I just said our culture teaches us. He said, where does Jesus fit in? Now, what was he getting at? He was essentially saying, Matt, you're trying to save yourself. <laughs> you can't. Why do you think Jesus came? <laughs> Why do we have Christmas? Do you not get why he came? Because you couldn't save yourself. You needed a savior. You see, until we recognize that we're spiritually dead, and uh, by the way, he doesn't say, you know, spiritually, we're not just in debt. We're spiritually bankrupt. We're spiritually dead. We have this insurmountable debt that we can't pay. Uh, we are spiritually dead. Isaiah says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a leaf and like the wind, uh, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And until we come to a place where we see our need of Jesus as our only hope, as our only possibility of finding life, until we come to seeing our need, we will never find salvation. Jesus made a, a point, and he said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Paul describes our enemy in a very interesting way in this passage. He says, we have this enemy whose goal is to keep you from Jesus. And he'll say, you don't need Jesus, you're not that bad. Jesus is for really bad people. Jesus is for people in prison. Jesus is for people who cheat on their wives and cheat on their taxes. Jesus is not for you. You're a good person. Jesus doesn't, you don't need Jesus. Jesus is for the, the bad people. The, the, the people that are over, you know, they've just done too much. But his goal is not just to mess up your life. You have an enemy that doesn't just want to mess up your life. He wants to mess up your eternity. And he'll do everything he can to keep you from Jesus. He'll, he'll do everything he can to keep you from seeing your desperate need. Paul says two really important things. He says, you're, you're spiritually dead and you can't revive yourself. You need help. Paul, or uh, Jesus, writes this, and I think it's such a great passage. Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet for, forfeit their soul? Folks, we have to really boil it down to this. In the end, this life is a grand of sand on the seashores of all the oceans and all the deserts. It is a small amount of time compared to the eternity and yet what we've done is we've made this little grain of sand our life to be so significant and important and we haven't made we haven't we haven't given our hearts and given our lives to the one who gives us everything else at the end of the day your family and friends your coworkers and classmates and your neighbors they need more than a good life they need a good eternity the problem is this year we've been so focused on ourselves we haven't seen that people are crying out for help. Not just for food and just all the essentials, but they're crying out 
for hope because they caught a glimpse of what life is going to be like, like what life could be if they were not here. And, and, and they realize they need help. And we have a message that will give them help and hope. But we have to get our eyes off ourselves. And we have to start looking at others and saying, how can I help that person? How can I help them have hope? So number one, you're spiritually dead. Number two, you can't help yourself. Number three, you, you are completely dependent on the grace of God. Colossians, Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 2. It's very similar to what he wrote in Ephesians, the passage we're looking at. He says this. He says, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. There it is again, right? We were dead and now we're made alive, right? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the change, uh, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Uh, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What he's talking about in this passage is that we're not just dead, but we're in debt. A debt we can't pay. pay. We're underwater in debt, a spiritual debt. Now, when you clearly understand the saving grace, you realize there's nothing you can boast about. You realize that you bring nothing to the table. That you, the, only bring, the only thing you bring to the table is your lostness and your sinfulness. You have to come to a place like that. Until you come to a place like that, you won't seek a savior. And that's why many, many people in our world today, in a, if you were to do the survey and ask those two questions, most people would say they would answer the same thing. I'm sincerely following God. I believe in him. I go to church. I try to do the best I can. I'm not perfect. And that's generally what you would hear people say. You would not hear a word about Jesus. You would not hear them say, I'm an absolute sinner. And unless Jesus saves me, I'm dead. They would never get to that place. They would, and these are church going good people, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, and that's what they believe. And the enemy goes, good with that. Absolutely good with that. Until you come to a place where you see I'm absolutely dead and I'm bankrupt. And I need help. And until you understand the price that was paid for your deliverance, how do you understand the grace of God? The only way that you can grasp his grace is you have to see the magnitude of the bill that Jesus paid. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that, that I see you down at uh, Ivy. And uh, you're, I'm in line ahead of you in Starbucks, and I just look back and say, hey, how you doing? You say, good. And you say, hey, you know what? Let me buy you coffee today. And you, I buy you coffee, and you're surprised because you thought I was a cheapskate, and here I am buying you coffee, and you're just like, well, that was cool. And so I buy you a cup of coffee, and you say, yeah, that was great, you know? And uh, we go through, and, you know, that's the end of that. Um, and you say, well, I'm grateful that he bought me a, a cup of coffee. Apparently, he's not a, quite the cheapskate that I thought he was, but, you know, we'll see. Um, anyway, so then let's say it's a couple months down the road, 
And uh, I, as doing my pastoral duties, uh, visit you because you're in the hospital. And I say, hey, I wanted to come in and pray with you. Uh, what's going on? And you go, um, I'm, uh, unless I find a kidney, I'm going to die. I, I need a kidney. And I say to you, you know what? Let me check. And uh, I, if, if I'm a good donor, I'd be happy to, to donate one of my kidneys to you. And we go through the process and I, you know, look at this. I am, I'm a, a good donor and I donate one of my kidneys to you. That takes it up a notch, doesn't it? A little bit. There's a little bit of a, you know, I, you know, buy me a cup of coffee at, at the, the, the Hy-Vee and, you know, uh, the, the Starbucks Hy-Vee is, is one thing. Donating your kidney, that's a little bit more. Uh, that's like, you know, I owe you my life. Until we get to that place that we realize that Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but he gave his life for you and for me. Until we understand how much he went, how far he went for us, to the extent of what he did for us. Until we run that around in our brains on a regular basis. We have not grasped the magnitude of the bill that Jesus paid until you st struggle with it. You have to understand, that's the grace of God we're talking about, that the very Son of God got off of his throne, came from heaven to earth as a rescue party of one, and gave his life, on a, climbed up on a cross and gave his life for you. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. And he gave his life and he said, it is finished. I'll give you exactly in everything that you need but it's going to cost me my life. Till you come to that place, you'll never understand God's grace because you'll be looking at, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty sincere. I'm better than most. And it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different universe of belief. Paul summarizes it when he says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we may be, become the righteousness of God. John Stott wrote this. He says, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself from God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. That's the cross. That's the salvation grace. Paul says something that goes very counter to our culture. Paul says, you may think that you're generally good. You may try to be real sincere. You may want to be in the top half of being the best person and in the top percentage. But in the end, you're spiritually dead. You are absolutely helpless, and it costs an incredible amount for your salvation. Until we come to that place, we are dead. What Paul's saying is you can be good and still be dead. You can be sincere and still be spiritually lost because you're on the wrong path. You can be better than average and still fall woefully short. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word today. I pray that you would take the words from you directly to our hearts. And whatever was from Matt that was meaningless or 
incorrect would be forgotten immediately. That whether in-house or online, whether right now or later on, somebody listening or watching, that you would speak to their hearts, speak to all of our hearts, show us our desperate need, help us to understand the incredible price that was paid. Father, thank you that you love us. We don't understand that, but we're so thankful and we're so grateful. We can't imagine why you would, but you do. It's one of the mysteries of the universe, really. Thank you, Father, for saving us and sending your son, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you willingly went to the cross and gave your life so that we could live. We were spiritually dead and you brought us back to life. And for that, we are eternally, eternally grateful. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.